0: Lord, we do pray that you would speak to us today through the reading and preaching of your word. Give us ears to hear what you might be saying. So bless this congregation as, uh, as the word goes forth in Jesus' name we pray it, amen. amen. Part seven in our series through the epistles of John and... Uh, going to read 1 John chapter 3 verses 13 through 24 which is the end of the chapter there. See when these were originally sent out they were read aloud in uh, in the congregation. Everybody didn't have a copy that they could read for themselves and so when the letters went out someone in uh, in that congregation one of the leaders would read the letters that came in and so uh, these were all read aloud when they were first received but beginning at verse 13 of chapter 3 john says do not marvel my brethren if the world hates you we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need And shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God." And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is the commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So last week we uh, saw John writing about lawlessness and righteousness, and we left off in verse 12 with the example of Cain uh, killing his brother Abel. Way back in uh, the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, uh, Cain kills his brother Abel simply for the reason that Cain's works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Uh, there was jealousy on the part of Cain because his offering was rejected by God and his brothers was accepted. Evil just ran its course and resulted in the death of one who was called righteous. Evil does what evil does. It's just no reason, no, no, uh, no motive, just evil when it runs its course, it does terrible things. And in the case of of Cain he ended up killing his brother simply because his offering was not received by God but Abel's was Abel's would have been offered with a heart of faith a heart of of generosity towards God Abel would have given God his best Cain probably gave God the leftovers gave God the eh, that's good enough Abel's was, nothing is too good for God. Cain's was, eh, that's good enough for God. And so out of that jealousy of his his gift, his sacrifice to God being rejected, he ended up killing his brother. So today we pick up at that thought as as John continues with that theme. And so Cain kills Abel, and then in verse 13... John says, do not marvel, my brethren, that the world hates you. In essence, if Cain hated his brother Abel, don't marvel that the world hates you. Uh, Now, he's talking about those who are hated for living righteously in the ways of Jesus. He's not talking about those who are hated because they act like jerks, okay? If you act like a jerk and the world hates you, you can't say you're being persecuted. No, you're being a jerk. You deserve it. (laughs) But if you are loving and kind towards people and they still hate you, then, then it doesn't fall on you. But if you're acting like a jerk and the world hates you, don't blame the world. Blame yourself for acting that way. It's fully understandable why we would be hated if we acted like jerks. Reasonably sane people don't act like jerks, okay? Just just be nice. Be nice to people. I don't like jerks, bullies, or rude people, and neither does the world. Especially if those jerks, bullies, and rude people profess to be Christians. The world sees the hypocrisy of that. And that's what they hate about it. But why would people hate us for living righteously when we sincerely seek to follow Jesus? I think it's because the righteous life brings conviction on the one who knows they are not living as they should. See, this conviction then calls people to change, calls people to repentance. It's easier to hate the one causing conviction that, let me read my sentence here before I actually say it. Okay, it's easier to hate the one causing the conviction than it is to actually change their behavior and surrender to God. Well, I'm not going to change my life, so I'm just going to hate you for your righteous life. See, if we can make the righteous person look bad, then we think that we look better ourselves. And so, it was a typo. That's why I couldn't read it. If Cain hated Abel, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Abel was righteous. Righteous. If we are living righteously before God, seeking within our ability as the Holy Spirit enables us to live a Christ-like life, the world will hate us. We've seen this idea a couple of times before in this letter, but a test as to whether one is truly walking in the light, living in the new life, and acting as children of God is this. Now this might be used... This might be used to judge the fruit of someone else's life, but it may also, maybe even more so, be used to test ourselves as we look inwardly and judge ourselves. When John says this, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. That's a test for us, that's a gauge where we can measure, and we've seen this before in this this epistle. Are we loving the brethren? Are we loving one another? That's a gauge to tell if we are actually uh, producing the fruit that we should be uh, producing. If we're walking in the light, living in the new life, acting as children of God, we can judge that by whether we love the brethren or not. This is our test for our self-examination. We ask ourselves, do I love people? You know, it used to be a song, I love you in the name of the Lord. And some of us would rather sing, I tolerate you in the name of the Lord. There's a little difference there. There's a difference between love and tolerance. And so we want to make sure that we're loving people and not merely tolerating them. Uh, The true test of whether we have passed from death to life is not that the world hates us, but that we love others. You know, oh, the world hates me. I must have passed a test. No, that's not, that's not the standard. The standard is if we're loving one another. Verse 14, the second half of that verse says, he who does not love abides in death. Ooh, that's... Uh, that's pretty strong words coming from John, who's known as the apostle of love. He, when he says, if you, if you don't love, you're abiding in death. That's a place of death. Loving one another is a place of life. Hating one another is a place of death. And so in John, 15, in the verse 15 there, he, uh, he uses strong language to drive this point home. He says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer hasn't even killed him but yet he's called and classified as a murderer in the same category as Cain who killed his brother Abel if you hate your brother you're like Cain and you are abiding in death The words of Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount come to mind here when, when he says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, You have heard that it is said of those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will it be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. You see, God sees the condition of our hearts People see our actions. God sees our hearts. And though we haven't killed this person, but God, if God sees hatred in our hearts, He sees it and equates it to murder. We want to not be there. We want to not be in that place. John gives a wake-up call. When he says, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You hate your brother, you're a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Paul, writing to the church at Galatia in his lists of the works of the flesh, mentions murders. Uh, And then he says, those who practice such Things will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, that same, that same idea, eternal life doesn't abide in him and that person does not inherit the kingdom of God when he mentions the murderers. And he lists a number of things there under the works of the flesh. The thing to keep in mind about that passage in Galatians is Paul is writing to those who identify with the church. He's not saying, yeah, the people of the world, if they do these things, uh, they're they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. No, he's writing to the church, and he's telling the church, if you do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. The ultimate example of love is in verse 16. Verse 16 of of, uh, 1 John chapter 3. John gives us a picture or a prototype of what love, what love looks like. He says, By this we know love. Okay, I'm supposed to love. Okay, what does that look like? What does that mean? I'm supposed to love the brethren. What does that mean? What does that look like? He goes on to say, By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. That's the picture of love. Laying down our life for someone else, even as Jesus laid down his life for us. Jesus in John 10, verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And then he goes on to say a few verses later about his laying down his life. No one takes it from me. No one takes my life from me. But I lay it down of myself or of my own accord. I am willingly laying down my life for the sheep. You may think you're taking, it, taking my life from me. But I'm laying it down willingly for the sake of my sheep. And Jesus also says. Five chapters later in John 15. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. It's great love to lay down your life for your friends, but God took it even a step farther. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. We weren't God's friends and Jesus still died for us. We were still enemies of God and God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God took the ultimate and brought it a step farther. He didn't lay down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for his enemies so that his enemies could become his friends. That's what Jesus did, because he loved us. And so we have this example to show us what love is. And then John goes on to say, still in that verse 16, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. This is following the example of Jesus. This is walking as he walked. It is... The apprentice doing what the master demonstrated. Just, this, just recently I came into this picture of what it is to be a disciple. And we think of uh, a, a teacher and a student. But really a disciple is more of a master and an apprentice. The apprentice trying to duplicate what the master is teaching the master is showing the master is demonstrating and then the apprentice okay it's your turn to try that now and the the apprentice tries to duplicate what the master is doing that's what it is to be a disciple it is to try to duplicate what our master has taught us and demonstrated to us and showed us We've seen John use the words brothers or brethren a number of times (coughs) throughout this letter. And in the context of this letter, he seems to specifically be referring to those who identify as fellow believers in Jesus. Now we know that uh, we're not off the hook when it comes to loving those who are not fellow believers because Jesus spoke of loving your neighbor as yourself and that neighbor may or may not be a believer but in the context of this letter it it seems that to love the brothers love the brethren uh, he's referring to fellow believers (coughs) verse 17 says but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him how does the love of God abide in him here is a test of love. When John speaks of love, he isn't talking about a kind of sentimental feeling because biblical love demands action. Biblical love demands action. The word translated heart here, whoever shuts up his heart, in the, it, that's the word used in the New King James Version, the, uh, the old King James Version, the word is translated bowels. The, it's your guts. It's, it's your deepest guts that you love people. Don't shut up your guts to people. The word literally means the entrails, or we might say guts. Whoever shuts up his guts. And most translations will say, will say hearts or some uh, uh, use the word compassion which comes from the deepest part within us. It takes guts to love the way God calls us to love. See, anybody can live for the world but it takes guts to live for Jesus. The love of God moves us to show compassion toward the brethren, even those who are not yet our brethren. When his love is abiding in us, we're to show that compassion to others. It should just flow out of us. If we have that love within our heart, if we have that love in our guts, that should just flow out of us to, uh, to other people. We are to show compassion when his love is abiding in us. We are to show compassion, even, in, even those that, God forbid, might be from another church. God forbid, might be from another denomination. God forbid that they might be from another country. God forbid they might be at our southern border. Come on, people. People from Iowa aren't all that bad. <laughs> Verse 18, my little children, let us... Not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. You see, love isn't merely a profession, something we say; it is a practice, something we do. It's when our actions match our profession. It's living it out, or living it now. As there's a little bumper stickers back there that uh, that Zach had made. Uh, Back on the table, I think there's some down in the kitchen uh, counter as well. You're uh, welcome to take those. Stick them on your, uh, your car window if you want. I put one on my office door down there. Live it now. Live it now. When our actions match our profession of faith. Deed and truth always count for more than word and talk. It's, it's uh, walking the talk. Uh, As it's been said, bring it, don't sing it. People want to see our Christianity demonstrated, not just talked about. Sure, we need to talk about it. We We need to tell people because without hearing the gospel, people can't come to faith in Christ. But they need to see it lived out, just like the apprentice needs to see something demonstrated by the master. People need to see the Christian life lived out in action following in the footsteps of Jesus, walking as he walked. That's what people need to see. And when they see that in us, then they're more willing to hear what we have to say about Jesus because we're living it out. We're acting like Jesus. We're not acting like a jerk. Okay. Now, in verse 19... 19 through 21 talks about assurance within and confidence towards God. If we are indeed loving others, we can know we are of the truth and have assurance in our hearts. Verse 19 says, and by this we know we are of the truth and shall Assure our hearts before him. What is the this in that verse 19? And by this we know that we are of truth. The this is the fact that we're loving the brethren that was just spoken about, spoken about in the previous verse. We can know that we are of the truth if we are loving our brothers. When we judge ourselves by this standard, we can rest assured that we are where we should be if we are loving others. This is one of the reasons we often pause to examine our hearts before communion. It speaks of that in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. If we would judge ourselves. So sometimes we, we take a time to pause, to judge ourselves, to examine our hearts. And that if we would judge ourselves, that passage of scripture goes on to say we would not be judged, judged by God. If we would judge ourselves and do the necessary repenting, whatever we need to do to get right with God, then we won't be judged by God. But sometimes we lack that assurance. You know, we think we're, we're doing our best to live for Jesus. We think we're... Living the best we can but sometimes you know, I just don't feel saved. Well, sometimes our heart condemns us and, and that's really, we condemn ourselves I think more than we necessarily need to. Because if we've come to God and we've had our sins forgiven and we're, 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 we're living for Jesus, uh, you know, we condemn ourselves but God is not condemning us at that, at that point. We are forgiven. We need to see ourselves as being forgiven. And and the important thing isn't that our heart is condemning us. What matters is God's condemnation or approval. That's what matters. If God says you're forgiven, that's what matters. Well, I don't feel forgiven. Well, that don't matter. What matters is God says you're forgiven. I just don't feel saved. Your salvation isn't a feeling, your salvation is a fact based on the cross of Jesus Christ. So, this, we can't be driven by our feelings, we have to be driven by the facts of God's Word and the sacrifice of Jesus. That's the facts. We base our faith on the facts. We don't base our our faith on our feelings. Our feelings can be very deceptive. Still in verse 20, after we we see, if our heart condemns us and says, God is greater than our hearts. Yeah, your heart condemns you, but God's greater than that. God sees past all that. He knows all things. He knows our motives, whether we are sincere or not. What matters is what God thinks. Read his word to know what God thinks. That's why we encourage people to to read the scriptures, to search the scriptures, and, and just see what God thinks about certain things. See what he has to say. And verse twenty-one goes on to say, "But if our hearts don't condemn us, because we have this assurance that we are loving, indeed and in truth, we can have confidence towards God. We can stand before God in truth. We can stand before Him without shame." It's kind of a Terrible thought to think of appearing before God with shame. Things we've done in our life. I'm going before God, and I've done so many horrible things, and I'm just I'm not just embarrassed, but I am ashamed to go before Him. But if we've been forgiven, we don't have to approach Him with shame. We can approach him in truth. We can approach him with clean hearts, clean hands, because of what he has done for us. So sometimes our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, but if our hearts don't condemn us, we can have confidence towards God. Now this is good, verses 22 through 24. With this confidence towards God, we can bring our needs before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Because we keep his commands, commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, we don't buy or earn the favor needed to have our prayers answered, but if we have confidence towards God, we go before God in confidence, not go before God with shame and guilt and and all that rot but we go to him in confidence rather than shame and fear we are better able to have the faith needed to have our prayers answered if we are confident in God that's a great faith booster if we are shameful when we go before God that's not saying much about our faith See, so many times, if you read through the Gospels, we see Jesus answering a request from somebody based on their faith. They had faith to go to Jesus. And Jesus says, be it unto you according to your faith. And so if we can go to God with confidence, that's a great faith booster. We're not earning God's Grace, we're not trying to buy it. Because you can't buy grace. If you think you can buy grace, it's no longer grace. If you can earn it, it's no longer grace. Grace is something freely given. But it kind of... Confidence towards God positions us to be able to receive the answers to our prayer requests. Faith, we might say, uh, if we're going to look at the opposite, it might not be doubt, it might be fear. Fear leads to doubt, and doubt dilutes our faith and minimizes our confidence towards God. Maybe that's why so often Jesus told his people, fear not. He wants his people to have confidence in him. Be confident in God. Your confidence is not in you. Your confidence is in him. And we can go before him in confidence. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we're already keeping his commandments and doing those things that are pleasing to him, which enables us to have confidence towards him. What is this commandment he wants us to keep? Well, that commandment is twofold. So, as verse 22 says, because we keep his commandments. Okay, what are these commandments? Twofold, mentioned there in verse 23. Twofold commandment. First of all, the first part of his commandment is that we love, that we believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. First commandment, believe on Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Now, when it says believe on the name of Jesus, name isn't <clears throat> simply referring to his title of address by which, na- of, by which he is called, but stands for the whole person. So when we, when we sing the song, there's power in the name of Jesus, we're not just talking about the J-E-S-U-S. We're talking about everything that the person of Jesus is. That is the name. We have our our belief is in all that he is, not just in his title of address. To believe in his name is to have faith in all that he is and all that he does. That's the first part of the commandment. Believe in Jesus. second part of the commandment, love one another as he has given us commandment. Of course, this points us back to the Last Supper when Jesus told his disciples, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He didn't call it a new idea. He didn't call it a new suggestion. He didn't call it a new recommendation. He called it a new commandment. He wasn't tossing out suggestions for how his disciples might want to live. No, he gave a commandment to be obeyed. Love one another. Because this is a commandment, it shows that God is not indifferent to the way we live. Oh, God don't really care how I live. See, this gets back to one of the people groups that John is kind of countering here, the Gnostics. We thought, as long as you have knowledge, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you live. It's all about knowledge. John says, no, no. You can have all the knowledge you want, but you need to live it. You need to live it. How we live matters. We've seen the word abide or abides a number of times in this book. Verse 24, he who keeps his commandments, what commandment? Believe in Jesus and to love one another. He who keeps his commandments abides in him. To abide means to dwell, to stay, to remain, to continue in him. We want to stay in Jesus, we want to remain in Jesus, we want to dwell in Jesus, we need to keep those commandments. He who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. Do you want to stay in God and be assured that he remains in you? I hope you say yes to that. Then keep his commandments defined in this context as believing in the name of Jesus Christ and loving one another. That com- concludes First John chapter 3. Let's pray. Lord, you've kind of simplified things for us by, by defining what's required of us to uh, believe in Jesus and to love one another. Lord, it seems so simple, but yet when the rubber meets the road, it uh, it's, uh, seems a little more difficult at times. But Lord, we want to have this confidence towards you. We want to come before your throne of grace and confidence knowing that you hear us when we pray and that we can approach your throne without fear, without shame because you love us. And because you love us, we love others. We respond to your love by loving one another. And in fact, we, we often are showing our love for you by how we love others. And so if we're doing that, we can come before your throne in grace. And I thank you that even those times when our heart condemns us, that you are greater than our hearts, that you see the work of Jesus Christ. You see the forgiveness that He paid for on our behalf. You sort through all that and see that we are your children that you have bestowed the title upon us of children of God. and We thank you for that. I pray, Lord, for this congregation that we would truly be able to walk in the victory of the cross, that we would truly have faith in all that Jesus is and all that Jesus does, and that we would truly love one another, not just in word, but in deed. Help us and teach us and show us, Lord, how we can better do that as individuals and as a church here in the Malacca community. Blessings on this congregation, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May the blessing of the Lord be upon you. Remember to pray for our Uganda, Rwanda team as they leave in just a few days. But have a great, great week in Jesus. God bless you.